Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast. I am Ben McKee back with a preview pod. Eric and I took off last week because we were both traveling and uh, Tennessee, Georgia playing on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday was not advantageous for us to, to squeeze in a preview podcast. So we do apologize for those who are asking where it was. We hope you all forgive us, but we'll make it up for you in Hoover. We are planning on doing a podcast every single day in Hoover uh, after the game, breaking down the game and previewing the next day. So uh, hopefully there will be plenty of podcasts to record next week while we are in Hoover. But first, Eric, Tennessee's got to get through the final regular season weekend, uh, the final weekend of conference play, and that's this weekend at Mississippi State, the mecca of college baseball. Yeah, should be a chance for Tennessee to conclude the regular season on a high note. You certainly can't take advantage of, um, you know, overlook uh, any team on the schedule in the SEC. You saw that backfire against Kentucky, and we spoke on that a couple weeks ago or last week. Uh, but this is a team that is really, really struggling so far this season, and uh, it's, it's very frustrating. Uh, you, you had great success last year winning a national title, and then, uh, you know, just bounce around around 500 and, you know, nine games under in conference plays. So, a chance for Tennessee to line up those pitchers, get everything ready to roll for Hoover, and uh, a really good opportunity to finish off with another series win here in the regular season. For sure. And for those who have not seen Mississippi State Stadium, that is why I caught the mecca of, of college baseball. It is absurd <laughs> stadium. The, the Cathedral they have built there in in Starkville. Now, now granted, there, there's not very much to do, if at all, in Starkville, Mississippi. Uh, so, so that surely uh, contributes. They they don't have much to to build for or uh, build around. I hear that's there. the nicest thing in Starkville, and that's probably not even not even a joke. That's literally probably the nicest thing in that city because that it is gorgeous. That and the football stadium. I, I yeah. I've never been to Mississippi State's uh, football stadium. A, Tennessee hasn't played there since 2011. Um, I believe that was the, the year. I, I was a junior in high school, so that sounds right. That was the uh, the Derek Dooley wheelchair game, I, I believe, when the, the famous photo of, of him being <laughs> rolled around in, in a wheelchair. Uh, I more so remember that game from the CP Cordero Patterson kickoff return for a touchdown when Tennessee wasn't doing uh, much on offense. And I was living in Huntsville at the time, only three and a half hours away. Wasn't able to, to get down there for the game. But uh, I think the stadium is pretty nice. Just watching on on TV. Uh, it, it's no Neyland Stadium or some of these other SEC football stadiums, but it looks kind of nice on TV. So maybe two things that are that are nice there in Starkville. Yeah, but it, it's still I mean, yeah, I mean, it's fine. But I mean, this is. I mean, this is this is as good as it gets, right? Yes, the baseball the, the, stadium. So yes, yes. The the baseball stadium is like Neyland Stadium, and the football stadium at Mississippi State is like Vanderbilt's football stadium. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the difference between the two. Uh, quite yeah. frankly, Eric. Before we move on and, and discuss Tennessee's final midweek game of the year, did find it interesting. I can't remember where Tony said it. I, I think he said it when he was with. John and Jimmy on Monday in his weekly appearance that Mississippi State and, and the stadium that they've got going on down there is is kind of what they envision 
having at at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. Maybe not as brand spanky new, but in terms of the the way that it looks, uh, and I think the main thing that he was referencing is that Mississippi State out behind left field, they have this. I think it's an apartment complex. I, I don't. It's not That's a. What it dorm. looks like. It's it's like suites uh, where yeah. you, where you can rent it out for the weekend and, and stay and watch the game. I think that's kind of what he was referencing because, as we have discussed on VolQuest, I think we've mentioned it here on the podcast, but uh, there's some plans in process of, of building a, a similar building out behind Tennessee's right field, but it would serve different purposes. It, it would serve as a, a baseball player's dorm. It would have a, an infield turf at the bottom and, and be you know that type of a comedy for – um, the the baseball team, some, something that they they can have to to themselves. Uh, so I, I found that comment interesting earlier this week. Yeah, sign me up. I mean, it looks good. And even if it's, you know, even if they're, of course, the the final plans aren't in there. But even if there were some condo type situations, you know, maybe up at the top, kind of further away from what the baseball day to day operations were. Gosh, wouldn't that be awesome? Rent it out for the weekend, watch the series out on the balcony, but. Regardless, the look of it's what he's talking about, and that's um, yeah, that'll look good. But hey, if you're comparing that stadium to what Neyland Stadium is going to look like here in a few years, I don't care to what degree. Sign me up because <laughs> that's awesome. All I know is that uh, you frat boys out there, you better hope that I never run into money because if I do, <laughs> woo, y'all are getting blown up. Or you can't now. say that now. You 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 piss a lot of people off with that comment a uh, couple months care. ago. I don't care. I feel strongly about this. And again, people acted as if I said that uh, a fraternity, the, the fraternities on campus should just go away forever. I'm actually helping the fraternity. That's literally what you said. No, it's not. Shut up, Eric Kane. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, shut up before we get clipped again and posted on, on Twitter. Uh, I, I, I don't think you know what I'm referencing. I'll, I'll tell you afterwards. Can only uh, imagine. <laughs> But um, won't be the first. Hey, hey, that's not been the first time that's happened. So whatever it is, this, I hope I sound good. This is this is true. No, we didn't say anything bad. It was just maybe a comment we made at the end of the last podcast that got shared on social social media. But if you do this long enough, it, your your opinion's going to get out there. Just hopefully we don't say anything too dumb. But again, I wasn't. I was actually trying to help the fraternities. I'm willing to to get the fraternities out of those old nasty, slimy, run-down frat houses that, that have been around since the 1800s and put them in new ones like the sororities moved into a couple of years ago. I'm not saying get rid of the frat houses. I'm just saying move them. Let, let's build them a new area around campus, and then we can build this brand-new spanking baseball stadium. Yeah, but that, the, those old, nasty, grimy houses, that means something to a lot of people, man. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Lindsey's Nelson Stadium has been there forever. We don't care about it because of how ugly it is. So yeah, it's an eyesore. Uh, again, the frat houses, y'all better hope that I don't ever run into money because y'all get in the boot. If so, I, I'm I'm just saying. Listen, just so you know, if you do run into money, I knew you before the fame and the money. So, you know, just remember that. <sighs> I'll uh, that I'll, well. contri- I'll contribute to the Locked On Vols podcast. Don't, Dude, don't worry. That would mean the world to me. Thank you. Subscribe <laughs> on YouTube. Uh, anyways, where can they subscribe on YouTube, Eric? 
Yeah, just search Locked On Vols. Uh, every single weekday, I post an episode, so it's there for you. And, of course, you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts as well. But if you guys like to watch it, um, you can find it on YouTube. Just search Locked On Vols. So I appreciate that. Especially if you want more Ryan Shepard content. So there you I go. I actually tried to get uh, Shump Daddy on a couple of days ago, and he was in Nashville doing something. I said never again. So is what it is, man. Look, he's getting too big time for us. Graduating college. He's big time in us now. Uh, but, to, or uh, Eric, we survived midweek baseball in 2022. Midweek baseball has come and gone. Everybody take a shot at tequila. You deserve it. We deserve it. We survived. The, and, boy, did Tennessee end with a bang, uh, beating a good Belmont team. That That's what is so baffling. Belmont, uh, first in the OVC, they were 35-17 and 17 entering the game. Uh, they, they had some impressive performances on their schedule from earlier in the year. And Tennessee beats them down as if they were Iona or Rhode Island, 18 to nothing. Tennessee hits six home runs on the night. Drew Gilbert, he got the home run derby going in the first inning. He hit a three-run home run. Uh, Steph C- or Seth Stevenson and Luke Lipsius, they hit back-to-back home runs in the second inning. Uh, Stevenson hit his into the porches. Luke hit his over the scoreboard, completely pissed on the ball. And that was the definition of a piss missile. I mean, it, it was an absolute piss missile off the bat. That, that was the definition uh, of a piss missile. Uh, his 14th home run of the season traveled 433 feet. Uh, Seth Stevenson also hit a piss missile, his second piss missile of the game in the third inning. Uh, completely went over the porches in left field. He has a two-home run game. He's up to four on the season. Uh, Jarrell Ortega and Christian Moore, they each hit home runs in the fourth and fifth innings. Ortega hit a two-run shot uh, in the fourth. That was his 12th home run of the season. Christian Moore hit his 10th home run in the fifth inning, a three-run shot. And uh, Tennessee has now hit six home runs in a game twice this season. And and I thought that it was going to, like, tie the season high. It didn't even tie the season high. It it tied the second highest uh, (laughs) on the season. Tennessee hit seven against James Madison back on March 9th. So, uh, Eric, it was was quite the home run derby at Lindsey Nelson Stadium on Tuesday night. No, it was, man. Uh, Six home runs total coming from five different players, and uh, it was was fun to watch. Three-hit day from Seth Stevenson, obviously. uh, Had two bombs, like you mentioned. It was a really, really nice day from him, but – Two hits from Lipsius, two hits from Moore, you know, two hits from Ortega. Ortega drove in three. Uh, Lipskin drove in three. I mean, again, it was when you went 18 to nothing, uh, you're going to have production up and down the lineup. And real quick, I don't mean to get off on, a, on not a tangent, but kind of a sidebar here. But, I mean, I, I, I own this. I'm a baseball guy. Don't don't mess with my game. Don't lo- don't limit double headers to seven innings. Uh, you know, no stupid softball runner at second base. And extra, I mean, I'm I, and I own it. I own it. But it's time to have the conversation about a mercy rule in college baseball, especially midweek, right? I mean, I figure you're going to back me up on that one, right? Yes, uh, I I do agree with you there. I I think the more pressing issue with midweek games right now is making teams and schools care about the midweek games uh, because you've seen several midweek games canceled the last week or two so that teams on the bubble – aren't impacted by a loss in the midweek game. And I think it's pathetic and soft to, to cancel a game 
if you're in that predicament. But I do understand the line of thinking. Uh, I, I would like to think if I were in the position of those coaches that, like, yes, I understand what they're thinking, but I would still play the game because that's that's what it should be about, playing the it's game. It's the right and, thing and to not, do, yeah. Right, and not running from a, a potential uh, loss uh, that, that could really hamper the season. But, like, I again, I, I also understand where coaches like Jim Schlossnagel at AM are coming from. Like, I, I get what he is saying uh, because, unfortunately – um, the, the midweek games matter in terms of the RPI and eventually getting into the tournament based off your RPI. It, it matters too much for how less these schools care about the midweek games. It, it's it's got to match somehow. Uh, and, and that's something that Eric and I have tried to emphasize to, to new viewers of college baseball. Like these coaches don't care about losing midweek baseball games they, they want to set up the arms for the weekend. They, they want to prepare their team for the weekend, get guys work in the midweek game. They're not going to put their best foot forward, burning a, a Chase Dolan during the midweek game to beat Belmont when you need him, you need him to go out and beat Mississippi State. That, that's just not going to happen, yeah. and it's the correct line of thinking. But how can we match a team's NCAA tournament resume with that thinking? Because even though Tennessee didn't put its best foot forward towards Tennessee Tech, that loss still counts against the the RPI. So th- there's got to be a way to, to match that, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I would agree. And one of my favorite conversations with new uh, college baseball fans is, gosh, I just can't watch it throughout the week. They, they throw nine or ten guys. I'm like, yeah, that that's by design. Like, that's exactly what needs to happen because you got to get your innings. If you didn't get them – on the weekend, you know, throwing a bullpen anyway. So, but no, I get what you're saying. Trying to get that matched up um, is what it is. I, I don't know necessarily a solution for it, but anyway, games like Iona games, like last night, it's like, all right, let's uh, let's move it along here. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we could quit swing, quit hitting home runs as much and let's just move it along. Cause it took forever. Now I am against you on the ghost runner second base. I, I love, the ghost runner at second base. I, I don't want to watch 18 innings of baseball where both teams are just trying to hit a home run and it's just absolutely boring. One, two, three in the top of the 12th. One, two, three in the, the bottom. One, two, three in the top of the 13th. So on and so forth. I don't want to watch that. The the, the ghost runner, it, it prevents a, a five to six hour long boring baseball game. It doesn't tax a, a million pitchers for, for the next few days. And it makes it way more entertaining. I think the the 10th and 11th with a ghost runner is it's so great for baseball because it makes it so much more entertaining. It, but the thought behind it is in the game quicker, sure, but like speed it up as well. Like it's it slows. I'll, I'll never forget a couple of years ago, and I I know we could be done after this. I did like a like a five game homestand for the, for the Tennessee Smokies. I, I I called it for on radio, and it was the first year they did the extra inning rule with the runner at second. And I kid you not, like three of the five games I did right off the bat had a run like it went into extras and so i'm like all right let's check all this out and it goes so slow there's more mound visits there you know infield shifts pulling an outfielder bringing them to the infield changing out gloves i'm like this is not speeding anything up it's annoying it's dragging on but uh nonetheless it's it's urban meyer it's rob manford it's runner second base three things i just (laughs) shake shake my fist at the sky for i just can't stand it i just think those are are different issues that need to be sorted out like 
I, I am a fan of banning the shift. I do not like the shift. I, I would like to see the shift be banned. I, it's I would wild. Like to-, to me, the shift doesn't matter. So, like, you and I are different on a lot of these issues. <laughs> I, I guess so. It, it's just – I guess that's where I'm like baseball guy, traditional baseball guys. I, I want the shortstop playing shortstop. I want the second baseman playing second base. I, the the best thing you can do as a hitter is hit the ball up the middle, and I should be rewarded for that. There should not be a guy playing up the middle taking a hit away from me when I'm doing the best thing I can do as a as a hitter and going back up the middle. I, He's I, gonna I adapt though. Like I mean, I I mean, there's you need to adapt to the ghost runner, Eric. Okay, you, you need to adapt to the shift, man. Hey, listen, I watched Freddie Freeman for years, and he got robbed of all those hits, you know, in shallow right field. I get it, but then you know what? He learned, he learned to hit it through that five six hole, that you know, down the third base line. As everybody's having to adapt, but nonetheless, I, I we're both passionate about the same game, so that's a plus. But yeah, we do differ on a, 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 more than a few things that I I thought we wouldn't, but. Oh well, that's also, fun. That's also, for another podcast. I also like the the strategy behind the Ghost Runner. I, I like the strategy and the entertainment, the the game within the game. So I, I am big pro uh, Ghost Runner guy. I, I you call me the Ghost Runner. I don't care. I don't care. Uh, speaking of <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, pitchers and the amount of pitchers in midweek games, wrapping up uh, Tennessee's midweek win over Belmont. Uh, Xander Seacrest, he, he got the start yet again. And, Feels so uh, bad for was, that guy, right? You talk about teammate of the year. I mean, all he does is go out there and shove, and he just never gets a chance to go deep in ball games, you know? Yeah, and, and Tony Vitello said after the game last night that he feels bad for Xander uh, because there, there have been several instances this year in which he deserved to pitch far far longer than he actually did. So uh, I, I concur with that. But Xander was awesome yet again. He threw 45 pitches, 30 of them were strikes, only gave up one hit, didn't give up a walk. He struck out two. Uh, he was one of eight Tennessee pitchers on the night. Uh, Tennessee combined to pitch a shutout, allowing just four hits for the game. It was Tennessee's eighth shutout of the season. Uh, Will Mabry, he he looked like Will Mabry. He, uh, he pitched the fourth inning, strikeout, ground ball, strikeout. Uh, to get out of the inning, Will Mabry looked like Will Mabry uh, against what is a good Belmont lineup, a, a NCAA tournament team. So I don't think it's something uh, to shy away from and, and feel good about going forward. Uh, and then how about freshman lefty Gavin Brasowski? He came in and he pitched a, a scoreless fifth inning. A fellow freshman lefty, J.D. McCracken, he earned his first career win on the night. Uh, he, he pitched a scoreless two innings before handing the ball over to freshman right-hander Brent Cherry, who got two outs in the eighth. And uh, Wyatt Evans came in, freshman lefty, to get the final out of the eighth. And and then Tony Vitello being Tony Vitello, uh, Drew Patterson, he pitched the first two outs of the ninth inning. And then Ethan Smith, he got in for the final out of the game. Last, last night was uh, pretty interesting. You had a Charlie Taylor hit. You had <laughs> two Logan Chambers hits and his first RBI of the season. And Ethan Smith got the pitch. How about that trifecta? Ethan Smith got the pitch. I mean, he just – he was dealt a bad card of hands there at the beginning of the season. I mean, it is what it is. But a guy that we talked about an awful lot at the beginning of the year, and then he disappeared, and lo and behold, came in and got the last out of the game last night. So I did notice that. Ethan Smith getting a little run. It's good to see. Yeah, and I I can't emphasize enough what, what you mentioned, that I, I just kind of feel like he was dealt – 
uh, a bad hand. Uh, he's he's going from Vanderbilt to Tennessee. I mean, talk about the polar opposite cultures, uh, and, and he's doing so in January, right before the season starts. It's just a, a bad hand. I think he has an extra year of eligibility. That is something that we can double check on uh, and update in our next podcast. But uh, I'd like to see him take advantage of that extra year and see what he can do under a full off season under Frank Anderson. Uh, final thing from the midweek game, Eric, uh, it was senior day. Uh, Tennessee held its senior day festivities prior to the game and Trey Lipscomb, Camden Sewell, Christian, Christian Scott, they were the main three that participated in the festivities. Uh, ben Joyce, Logan Steenstra, Redmond Walsh, and Evan Russell were congratulated for graduating. And uh, Walsh and Russell didn't go through uh, the, the handing over of the, the jersey in the frame like uh, Trey Lipscomb, Christian Scott, and Camden Sewell because they did so last year. And Luke Lipsius yeah. didn't even participate at all <laughs> because he went through it uh, last year. Ben Joyce, Logan Steenstra. Obviously, Joyce is on the verge of being drafted. I, I wouldn't read into Steenstra being congratulated for graduating. That That's all that was. Uh, it's, it's just really hard to tell who should participate in senior days uh, in baseball because not only the draft, but also COVID. Yeah, and that's why it's so confusing. Um, for the next, I mean, I guess it's about three more cycles. You know, it's senior, COVID senior, super senior, and in every sport. I, I get confused about it sometimes, too, and it's – it's hard to project because, I mean, you look at a guy like, you know, just pick your poison, right? I mean, look at a guy like Jeremy Banks who played himself into a draftable player right now, you know, depending on next season, could come back again and even up his stock even more. And that's – you typically just couldn't do that because he's never taken a redshirt year. So, I mean, that's football. But in baseball, too, it's a little confusing. But nonetheless, um, they had that option to come back. And if it works out, obviously we'll come back and – help their draft stop because there's a couple of players that did that this year. And it certainly, uh, you know, it's going to pay off for him. As you mentioned, Jeremy Banks, he was flagged for hitting somebody late out of bounds. <laughs> Dear mid sentence. He hit somebody out of bounds. <laughs> yes. He, uh, he hit. Oh, my favorite thing about all that is like, yeah, uh, you tweet out eh, another fly. Jeremy Banks lay hit out of bounds. What? That wasn't late. That's bull crap. Everybody hates Tennessee. And you watch the replay and it's like 10 yards out of bounds. And he shoves the guy. So, and it's, Tennessee heads to Starkville this weekend to take on Mississippi State in the final weekend of the regular season. They'll play Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on the SEC Network. They'll play Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on SEC Network Plus. And then the regular season finale will be at 3 p.m. Eastern on the SEC Network Plus. So, or a Thursday, game one, SEC Network, game two, and game three on Friday and Saturday will be on the SEC Network Plus. And then game one, game two, seven o'clock, series finale, three o'clock. Eric Kane, uh, this Mississippi State baseball team has quite a bit of talent, but they have run into some issues this season, uh, mostly because Landon Sims, their ace, was lost early in the season due to Tommy John. Uh, he was viewed as arguably the best pitcher in the country. He only got to pitch in three games. Uh, Stone Simmons, their best bullpen arm, uh, he only got to pitch in three games, and then he was deemed out for the rest of the regular season due to Tommy John as well. Uh, Brooks Auger, 
he is out as well. Uh, another bullpen arm uh, that was was going to be a key piece, and he is also dealing with an injury. I, I believe it's Tommy John as well for him. So uh, I'll, I'll go into a little deeper dive here in a second. But uh, Mississippi State, they can hit the ball. And because of some injuries, they have not been able to pitch all that well, and it's particularly with the bullpen. Yeah, it's unfortunate, too, because, you know, this team obviously had so much success last year. And you're coming in this year, you're dealing with injuries, you're losing. And it's easy to see. I mean, there's probably a lot of frustration there, you know, around that stadium, around that team in that locker room, because, again, the standard last year was just so much. Um, or not the standard, the standard is the same, but the results are just so much different last year, I guess. And I mean, you know, you and I were talking before we even started this thing, man. I mean, <laughs> the problem ain't hitting. I mean, they got guys up and down that lineup that can hit and, you know, drive in runs and hit the long ball and hit per average and all that. It's it's the pitching, like you said, when you have an ace, arguably one of the best pitchers in the country, your top bullpen or a couple of your, your top bullpen arms unavailable. You're having to put guys in different spots in different situations and it's just unfortunate. Those ERAs are inflating. You mentioned the bullpen as well, but the starters, whew, starters are not great. I mean, you got two guys. You got one that you know, Brandon Smith at a, a shade under a five ERA. You know, Preston Johnson, uh, you know, five fifty five ERA. Uh, you know, all these guys have pitched you know close to, if not surpassing, seventy innings on the season. It's just been a real, real struggle for them throwing the baseball this year um, off the mound. And to your point, a lot of that is because of the injury situation earlier in the season. Yes, uh, it is very much because of the injury situation. Um, and because of the injury situation in conference play, they have the third worst ERA. Now, they do strike out a lot of hitters. Uh, that, that, th- that's what happens when you have a staff that has a bunch of talented prospects, but they're struggling. They typically strike out a lot of batters because they have great stuff, but they can't command their stuff. And that is absolutely the case with Mississippi State's pitching staff as, again, they have the third most strikeouts during conference play, 261, uh, but they have the third worst ERA, a 6.88 ERA as a staff during SEC play. And that's a result of the fourth most home runs allowed. They've given up 47 home runs. They've hit the fifth most batters, 27, uh, second most doubles allowed, 51 doubles allowed, uh, the seventh most hits allowed, the seventh highest opponent batting average uh, uh, given up. Uh, opponents are hitting 268 off of them. And, and here's really the, the three bugaboos, the, the three stats that, that stand out. They've given up the most runs allowed in SEC play, 199 runs. They've given up the most walks allowed, 156. And here's a stat that I just cannot believe. They have one, one save in SEC play. They have one save in SEC play. I was amazed when I saw that stat. So, uh, yeah, four stay- on the season. Four on the season, Ben. Yeah, not not great. Just. Just not great at all. Uh, you mentioned the starters there. Uh, Brandon Smith, he sits 88 to 92. Uh, a strike thrower with very average stuff is how it was put to me. Uh, Preston Johnson, he sits 91, 94. Uh, he has a plus slider, will give you the home run, which has been the biggest issue for him. 
And then Cade Smith is viewed as the, the best starter of the three. He's a uh, 91, 94 miles per hour, good slider. Uh, so those are the expected uh, pitchers for Mississippi State. I, I would expect them to throw Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, all three are righties. Again, our Brandon Smith, very average stuff, but does throw strikes. He's going to pound the zone. Uh, that sounds good for Tennessee, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. uh, Preston Johnson, he gives up a lot of home runs. 17 on the year. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how that plays in that stadium against this Tennessee lineup. Uh, and then Cade Smith the game three starter, the best of the three, 91-94 with a good slider. And, and they really only have uh, four bullpen arms that they can rely on at the moment. Uh, the main guy, their lefty, Pico Khan. What a name. I love that so much. And not only is his name Pico, he's a lefty. He's a freshman. He wears number nine. He wears a single digit. As a freshman lefty pitcher, who is uh, shoving pretty good this year. And uh, Lord knows how Tennessee has handled lefties at, at certain times this season. So that that is the one pitcher, him and Cade Smith. Uh, the game three starter and Pico Khan uh, are two pitchers that I'm circling. Uh, I'm also circling Drew Talley. And this is weird for me to talk about Drew because uh, Drew is the brother of one of my good friends who I played baseball with in high school. So a shout out to, to Drew Talley and his older brother, Blake. Shout out to Blake. Uh, Drew has, has really come on here of late and uh, doesn't, he hasn't really been given a ton of early season opportunities for whatever reason. He had one bad outing uh, early in the year. And for whatever reason, they were kind of reluctant to go back to him. But he's been really efficient his last several outings. And even Tuesday night in the midweek game, Mississippi State uh, was down four to nothing uh, to North Alabama. And North Alabama is looking like they're going to run away with it. And Drew has to come in in the first inning and, and bails Mississippi State out. And he's able to, to calm the storm and come in and, and, again, calm the storm. And Mississippi State kind of takes off from there and is able to come back in and win that ball game. But he's, he's a righty that, that is really coming on. Uh, of late with a, a good slider. And then there's also Jackson Fristo and Casey Hunt. So uh, three of the four of those bullpen arms that are reliable at this moment uh, are righties. O only one lefty that Tennessee has to worry about this weekend. Drew Talley has given up three runs since the beginning of April. Three runs, that's it. In fact, he's given up the, – the, you said he had a couple of bad outings. He's had one bad outing all season long where he got blew up by Southern – four on runs in one inning outside of that uh, the majority of his, I mean, the overwhelming majority, he has uh, put up a big goose egg or just surrendered one earned run uh, on the season. What year is he? I believe he's a senior. Okay. It doesn't say uh, he, profile he, here. he can come back for an extra year if he wanted to, but I, I don't no. think he's going to, but he is to your point. He's been pitching very, very good here lately. Again, three runs surrendered since the beginning of April. Yes, baffling as to why he has not been given more of a chance, but that's a different conversation for a different day. Uh, and I, the, the four guys that I mentioned out of the bullpen as Mississippi State's most reliable arms at the moment, uh, we, we just talked about Drew. Drew's pitching really well at the moment. Uh, Pico, my favorite, he has a 4.76 ERA. So it's not yeah. like he's been lights out. I mean, that's really good for a freshman in the SEC. But, again, lights out. And then the other two, 
that I mentioned, Jackson Fristo, uh, he has an ERA of 7.68. 7.68. And then Casey Hunt, the other guy that I mentioned, an 8.22 ERA. So two yeah. of the four most reliable arms out of the bullpen, an ERA of seven and an ERA of eight. Not great, Bob, as the kids say. You can only polish it so much. I mean, for real, like, sure, you could be pitching, you know, better lately and everything and you know, the injuries and I get all that. But anyway, you spend it, Ben, everybody that Mississippi State throws right now that they count on has an ERA that is just too high, too high. I mean, Kate Smith, 366, that's okay. Um, that's good in the SEC, really good. Yeah, yeah, that, that's good. Um, but, you know, you're you're sitting at five. Your other two starting pitchers are at five and over five ERA, which is not great. And these bullpen ERAs are just inflated. So it just goes to show you how much they've struggled overall just to just to pitch the baseball this year. Uh, defensively, they're, they're really good. Third and fielding percentage. So I, I don't really expect many mistakes there. Uh, now, here here's one thing. It's not like Tennessee has Enrique Bradford Jr. and they just have guys that are just going to steal all day long. I meant to check before we started recording uh, where Tennessee ranks in the SEC in stolen bases. I I think they rank second behind Vanderbilt or behind Enrique Bradford Jr. Tennessee ranks behind Enrique Bradford Jr. I think Enrique, I don't know what he is after the midweek game, but after the weekend, I believe Enrique was 40 for 40 on the season. (laughs) That's wild. (laughs) which is is stupid, but uh, Tennessee not going to be running on Mississippi State and Logan Tanner. I can assure you that. Uh, they're, they're not going to be running often and probably not going to be successful all that often. Uh, Mississippi State has allowed the third fewest stolen bases against. They've only given up 12 stolen bases during conference play, so I, I don't expect that to be a big factor uh, for Tennessee. We'll be interested to see if if Seth Stevenson gets on, do, do they try to run him there? Uh, Jordan Beck likes to run every now and then. Probably not a good weekend for Jordan Beck to run. Uh, so uh, Mississippi State, very good defensively, and, and they're also a good hitting team, Eric. Uh, they, they hit for power. They have the second highest slugging percentage in the SEC. They have the second most hits, uh, 269 during conference play. That second highest slugging percentage that I mentioned is because they are second in total bases. They've hit the third most doubles. They've hit the fourth most home runs, and they've hit the fifth most triples. Now, they do have the fourth most strikeouts on the season, and they, they're middle of the road in RBIs, and that, that seems odd that a, a team that has the second most hits, the second highest slugging percentage would be seventh in RBIs. Yeah. Uh, that's because they, they struggle. Uh, with runners in, in scoring position. That that has been a storyline for Mississippi State of they're able to get on base, they're, they're able to hit doubles, they're able to hit home runs, but when there are ducks on the pond, they are not able to drive them in. They do have the fifth highest batting average, uh, just the sixth most runs scored. They have the seventh highest on base percentage. Uh, they are ninth in walk, so they do not walk a lot. And, and here's something that uh, Tennessee can – look forward to, I, I guess, uh, they don't steal a lot. They're stint, or they're 10th in stolen bases. They've only stolen 11 bases during SEC play, and they have the third fewest steal attempts uh, during conference play as well. So I'll, I'll be curious to see if maybe Mississippi State changes up their game plan, knowing that Evan Russell and Tennessee's slow pitchers to the plate are 
are on the mound. I'll be curious to see if they change that up. But to this point, they have not stolen a lot of bases. Yeah, Cameron James, he's 13 to 14 on the season, so he'd be the one to watch out for. Uh, Lane uh, Forsyth, I guess is how you say his name. Um, mm-hmm. He's four or five. Yeah, it sounds like he's got a brother in the major leagues. Uh, he's four or five on the season, so he doesn't run often, but when he does, it's it's pretty good. But to your point about the power, it, it is very surprising that they're middle of the road in terms of RBI on the season because, you know, there's four players that have over 10 home runs. There's been 17 Jaeger bombs so far this year uh, from <laughs> R.J. Jaeger. We we hope that's how you pronounce his name. Believe so because they make the, you know, the the – the jokes about the Jaeger bonds, but I mean, he's 17 and 55 home runs RBI on the season. That's, that's not bad. And he leads the team in average of 328. I mean, that's an overall, that's a really, really good hitter. Uh, 15 bombs, 39 RBI for uh, Brad Cumbus, uh, you know, 15 and 50 for Hunter Hines who's a good player, uh, 13 and 40 for Kellum Clark. So, and again, you've got one, two, three, you have three players hitting over 300 and then two more players hitting at 297 and 296. So this is not a bad hitting team. It's just, situational hitting like you brought up uh, is where they've been struggling with you know runners at second and third and you know probably I would I would imagine they're struggling with less than two outs as well Tennessee just needs to to be itself this weekend and, and they'll be fine if yeah. if Tennessee hits the way that they are capable of against this pitching staff uh, they should win the series uh, again I, I'm not going to predict a sweep I, I only predict sweeps against Kentucky and look look how that turns out. Uh, I, I still stand by that. If, if Tennessee and Kentucky were playing this weekend in Lexington, I would predict Tennessee to sweep Kentucky. Uh, but going on on the road to Mississippi State, they've had crowds of 14,000 people, more than 14,000 people, uh, multiple times this season. So it's going to be a raucous environment. Uh, I think Tennessee will handle it perfectly fine. But uh, this team, Mississippi State, is, is very talented. They, they just – they're particularly talented throughout the lineup and in the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's their pitching that, that has been the bugaboo this year because of the injury. So as long as Tennessee is itself, if they pitch the way that they should and the way that they're capable of, if, if they hit the way that they, they have, then they should be perfectly fine. Tennessee's a good defensive team. Uh, the, the one bugaboo, the, the base running, uh, the, the running game – it's easy to steal in Tennessee because yep. the pitchers are slow to the plate and because Evan Russell does not have a Yadier Molina-type arm behind the plate. So uh, that that's an aspect of the game that I don't really think is going to come into play this weekend because State doesn't steal a lot of bases. I'll, I'll be surprised if that is something that, that is a, a factor. So Tennessee's just got to be itself. Uh, and if they are, they'll be perfectly fine. Uh, on that note, Eric, two things I want to discuss before we get out of here. First, uh, pitching decisions. As far as we know, Chase Dolander, he's going to be the game one starter on Thursday night. Obvious reasons as, as to why uh, there. Uh, we'll have this conversation later, but I, I think that also means that Chase Dolander will start next Thursday at the SEC tournament. So somebody's going to have to start that Wednesday game. Will it be a Camden Sewell or a Xander Seacrest uh, since uh, a Wednesday won't factor into the regional? Will, will they try to keep the rotation intact and pitch a, a Burns or a Beam over the weekend in Hoover? Or will they throw out a Joyce, a Xander, or a Camden uh, in that Wednesday game? I, I think that's something to, to keep an eye on. And again, we'll have that discussion. But as far as we know right now, it's Chase Dolander. He's the, the game one starter. If you were in charge of, of this baseball team, 
who is starting Friday and Saturday for you? Yeah, I would. Uh, Blake Tidwell would get the start in game two and then probably Chase Burns in game three. Um, but I would make sure kind of like what they did the last two series, especially Kentucky as well. Um, I would get beam. I would get beam three or four out of the pen for sure. Um, if he can handle it, uh, you know, that might've been the plan last weekend, but, uh, it, it didn't go right. Uh, just make sure they get their innings, right. You know, Blake Tidwell showing signs of getting back to his old self. That's good. Continue to let him start. Don't land or don't mess that up. Uh, you're, you, you got a little rest for burns. You got a little rest for beam last weekend, which was huge, but you know, go ahead and start one of those guys. I would go burns and, but I would make sure the beam, you know, in a piggyback type situation, whether it be, um, you know, pick, you know, taking over for Tidwell on Saturday or for Burns on Sunday. That's kind of how I would handle it. But Ben, I have no clue what he's going to do, man. Um, he's it's been a different combination the last couple of weekends in preparation to make sure they're all ready to roll for for Hoover in the postseason. I agree with you. I, I would throw Blake Tidwell game two, and I would throw Chase Burns game yeah. three. Uh, that that would be what I would do. Uh, I do think Blake Tidwell is on the verge of of really looking like Blake Tidwell. I wrote about that in this week's Baseball 321 on VolQuest.com. So I I would roll with him. And and I just maintain the thought that if Tennessee is going to win the national championship, it's going to be because Blake Tidwell pitches like Blake Tidwell down the stretch here. And uh, you just need to continue to work towards him looking like himself. Uh, And not he doesn't have to be vintage Blake Tidwell this weekend. He he doesn't have to be vintage uh, Blake Tidwell and Hoover. Even uh, maybe he doesn't even have to be Blade Tidwell, vintage Blade Tidwell that first weekend of the regional, but he's got to be vintage Blade Tidwell by the time Super Regional rolls around. Ideally, yes, regional weekend. It's not a given that Tennessee makes it out of it, uh, but you can quickly pivot to somebody else if you need to be. But he's got to be ready to go by Super Regional and by Omaha. And Tennessee seems to have confidence that he's about to turn the corner and then. I, I was really impressed by Chase Burns. He he looked fresh in that first inning out of the bullpen, did run into trouble in his second inning, but uh, I, I thought he kind of looked rejuvenated. And it, you it's it's a hard conversation to have because you're trying to, to walk the line and, and find the balance of the ceiling for these guys and what they can be to where they actually are. Uh, I, I think you're trying to walk that balance with Drew Beam, Chase Burns, Blake Tidwell, Ben Joyce. So it's a hard conversation to have. But uh, again, if if all all of the pitchers are pitching to their max ability, I think Tennessee's three best starters are Chase Dolander, Blake Tidwell, Chase Burns. That that is my opinion, and, and that is why I would roll uh, with the rotation that I would roll with. Uh, this weekend, but and that's I, so I tough would, too because gosh, Beam Beam has looked so good at points and times this year, and and any other team again, he solidified in that top three. But I agree with you with when everyone is pitching their best, he would be the fourth guy, and he would be the second guy. You know, coming back next year, he's going to be the you know potentially the Saturday night starter next year coming back. So uh, it's just wild. But I, you know, well, it, will he? Will he? Chase Dolander and Chase Burns are going to be back. <laughs> I don't know. I guess not. <laughs> I, for, I don't know why I just assumed that uh, Dolander was gone there for just a second, but you're exactly right. In my mind, it I'm does like, feel yeah. like he's older. Yeah, yeah. I, of course, I, I know Dolander's going to be back, but nonetheless, uh, any other team, he'd be a you know Friday or Saturday guy. So, you know, we'll see. But it, it's go time, man. I mean, you're talking about Tidwell. He continues to look more and more like himself. You know, it's 
to me, sure. Like I get what you're saying, but like it's put up or shut up, baby. It's postseason. You know, it's not. Yeah, right. don't overlook. Don't overlook. Um, but uh, let, let, let's get rolling. And also, every time you said vintage uh, Blake Tidwell, it just cracks me up because I know what you're saying. But God, God, he's just a freshman last year, right? Like he's not. He's not an old guy, but it feels like he is. So my biggest thing, Tennessee, play play your game, right? Um, you're not going to overlook this team because you overlooked Kentucky and look what happened. You learned your lesson, and they spoke on that post game. You move on, play your game. Uh, you'll have chances to score runs because Mississippi State's given those opportunities all year long, and uh, just get lined up and ready to roll. But obviously, don't overlook this game. Take it, take it seriously, which I believe Tennessee will. And Frank Anderson and Tony Vitello will make them take this seriously because you know they're good coaches. Yeah, and, and one last thing on the pitching. I, I'm not opposed to Ben Joyce the starter. <laughs> I'm really not. I, I I think that is absolutely uh, a realistic possibility that could 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 be awesome for Tennessee. I, I think he can be a starting pitcher with with how he prepares in the weight room. We we discussed it on the podcast earlier this week with with the specimen that he is. I think he is more I think than capable. Happen in I well, I was in my head while you were talking. While I was talking, I would start him that Wednesday in Hoover. Yeah, I would start him that Wednesday in Hoover. We'll we'll dive into it. We'll see if this weekend changes my mind. But I'd start him that Wednesday. Dolander on Thursday. Burns Friday. Tidwell. Well, burn depending on if Tennessee goes two and zero or not. Burns may not need to pitch on Friday. Burns the third game that they play. Tidwell the fourth game, yeah. uh, which would possibly be Saturday Sunday. Uh, trying to win a SEC tournament, so I, I am not at all opposed to to Ben Joyce, the the starter. So uh, we'll continue to monitor that conversation. Got to get Drew Bean going. He 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 did not look good um, against Georgia coming out of the yeah. bullpen. So hopefully his, his relative week off is kind of what I've been calling it. Uh, he he didn't throw a ton of pitches uh, on purpose uh, to to give him a de facto week off hopefully that can reboot him mentally and physically interested to see his role this weekend and how he performs uh you mentioned the game plan for Tennessee uh, aside from like the keys to victory what are some things that you just want to see from Tennessee that would we both feel good about this team going into Hoover but I, I guess give you some more conviction about how we feel about this team going into Hoover uh, yeah, just stuff we've already kind of mentioned. I want to see Blake Tidwell give uh, give us another good outing. I want to see Blake Tidwell go further in the game, first and foremost. Um, you know, the walks have been down. Strikeouts have been up. You know, he's looking a little bit better. Let's, let's get you deeper into the ball game. And then Drew Beam, if he is coming out of the pen, which I think would be a smart move because depending on postseason, you might need him to come out of the pen. Um, and it was his first time coming out of the pen last weekend, and it was not good. Let's see that bounce back. Uh, let's see what you got because I'm so confident you throw him out there in inning number one, that's more – Obviously, his routine, he'll be just fine. But uh, let's see him bounce back. Let's see Tidwell go a little bit longer. Um, let's continue to see, you know, a rejuvenated Chase Burns. That'd be great to see. Don't overtax those arms this weekend, of course, which, again, um, you know, I know we joked about this on the Monday Night Chat, but Frank Anderson does indeed know more about baseball than I do. And then for that lineup, just go out and have fun, do what you do. Um, you know, it's 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 been fun to watch all season long. Uh, try, try to – Try to hit that lefty freshman pretty well, and let's see what happens. I mean, just no, nothing out of the ordinary. Nothing, nothing. Uh, you know, we don't want to see every single weekend, but primarily Tidwell and Beam are who I'm going to be watching this weekend. Yeah, the the main thing I want to see, and just really specific, 
cut down on the base running mistakes. I'm, I'm tired of seeing the, the base running mistakes. There, there's, there's a fine line between being aggressive, aggressive yeah. and, and being stupid. And look, there will be more base running mistakes. That that is just it's part of the philosophy. It is the the negative side effect, if you want to call it that, to having an aggressive philosophy. That they're going to be aggressive in every single situation on the base paths. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love being aggressive. I absolutely love it. Uh last I, I think it was against Georgia, game one or game two. Luke Lipsius smokes a ball off of the, the wall in, in right field, and he thinks it's a double off the bat, which I thought it was a double off the bat. There was a runner. I don't remember the runner, but a, a runner on first or second. He's able to score, and Luke tries to to go to second, but changes his mind because of how hard he hit the ball he realized that no he needs to stay at first i hit that ball too hard to get the second in time and he made the correct decision but unfortunately because the the runner was scoring and the ball was hit to right field the cutoff man was the first baseman the right fielder throws it into the first baseman catches it right there next to luke as luke is making the correct decision not to stretch it into a double and everybody's mad yeah. at luke for, for making a, a poor base running mistake to me, that's not a poor base running mistake. To me, that's unfortunate luck. Luke made the right decision by not going to second. It was just unfortunate that in that particular situation, the first baseman was the cutoff man and was standing right next to him. Uh, so, like, to me, that's not a, a stupid base running mistake. A stupid base running mistake is Drew Gilbert not seeing the ball down in the series finale in the first inning and just taking off without seeing the ball down. To, to me, that is a, a bad base running mistake and he got away with it in game two when he was at second base there's a ball hit to center field and he just immediately took off running he immediately took off running did not see the ball did not look to see if it was down he just took off running the georgia center fielder wasn't able to make the catch and because of that he kind of got bailed out and was able to score he does the same exact thing the next day the georgia center fielder makes the catch and then doubles off drew gilbert so you can be aggressive but still stick to what you have been taught since you were playing Little League baseball. And that is see the ball through the infield, see the ball down. You're obviously still reading different situations, but you, you want to turn, depending on where the ball is, obviously there's a bunch of quirkiness that, that goes into different situations. Uh, but, but essentially you, you want to see the ball through the infield, through the outfield, down in the outfield, you want to at least turn and look at the situation. Don't just turn and take off without even looking. To me, that's that's bad base running. You, you can still be smart on the base paths while being aggressive, and that is what at times Tennessee has lacked, and that is absolutely something that will get you beat and have your season come to an end prematurely, and a whole lot of people call this season a failure because you didn't, you didn't win the national championship. It's little things like that that need to be – cleaned up i'm not freaking out about runners in scoring position like a lot of people are are commenting in, in game threads and, and tweeting about Tennessee's one of the best hitting teams in the country with runners in scoring position just because they do it once over a, a three-game series doesn't mean that it's all of a sudden a huge issue for this team that's baseball it happens but the base running decisions when, when they're not being smart about being aggressive as you can tell it's starting to frustrate me and it's something that i want to see this weekend 
cut out. They were good on Tuesday in the Belmont game. I loved Seth Stevenson. What I just said with Drew Gilbert, he was in that same situation. He got a good secondary lead, and there's a little bloop single out to the outfield. He saw – he didn't take off until he knew the ball was going to drop in the outfield, and he scored. That's what I love to see. I want to see more of it this weekend. Yeah, you know my opinion on this, and it's – it's like yours. I mean, I like the aggressiveness and everything, but I've I've called it since March, man. They 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 are too risky or they are they are too sloppy on the base pass. And that's been something that has held this team up a little bit last year as well. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. Sometimes you gotta risk it to get it, but uh just be a little sharper on that. So uh, trying to cut down on that this weekend is something obviously would be, you know, good for Tennessee. Not not try to. It needs to be cut down on, it needs to be eliminated. And you're right, you have brought this up. Uh, in, in March, and I, I wasn't as into the conversation uh, in March as I am in May, and, and that's because I feel like it's gotten worse over the course of yeah. the season. Early in the season, I, I thought that it was just a product of, of them being aggressive, and it is okay to to be to get outs on the base paths if if you're being aggressive in certain situations. It is okay. Coaches like that. But now, now it's turning into stupid base running mistakes that little leaguers don't make. And, and that, that's kind of what is the difference for me in the first half of the season and the second half. But it is something that needs to be cleaned up for sure. Uh, Eric, I will try to survive Starkville, Mississippi. Uh, we'll try not to die of boredom outside of the baseball games. Um, but I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. Uh, have a good weekend. And Rest up because it's going to be a fun weekend. Hoover next week, my friend. Sure thing, dude. We'll do around the horn on Thursday, maybe a couple other times this weekend, and uh, stay at the ballpark as long as you can because once you leave, well, that's it. Nothing else to do in Starkville, so have fun. Well, I'm pretty confident that my hotel situation won't be the same as it was in Lexington, so uh, I'm <laughs> I'm feeling good on uh, on that note. He is Eric Kane. I am Ben McKee. Tennessee taking on Mississippi State this weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. 7 p.m. start for both game and game one and game two, a 3 p.m. Eastern start on Saturday in the series finale. And at some point over the weekend, Eric and I will record a review podcast of the weekend. So until then, we hope you all have a great rest of your week.